0: plushcare.com Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous teo.
2: Welcome, indeed, to Podcast Horseman, the BoJack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, BoJack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflick.
1: And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas and Michael, as always, no messing this week. You can call us the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with. If you like this podcast, you can give us a follow on social media. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. If you like your hosts of this particular podcast, then you're in luck. You can find them both on Twitter as well. You can find me at It's Adam Nicholas or you can find Michael Humphlett
2: at Michael Hanflet. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we would love you to subscribe. You can listen on Spotify, where we would love you to follow. You can listen on AirCast, where we'd love you to subscribe as well. And on Amazon Music, however they seem to do podcasts now. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us there hopefully and if you want to listen to the podcast through streaming on AirCast, you can see the link every Friday that's posted to the app podcast horseman Twitter feed um, For season three we will be inducting people into our Hollywood talk of fame. Typically we would be begging as all podcasters you to leave us some feedback or leave us a five star review with a few words, they could be nice they could be nice. You can still do that we'd love that. However for this season this season alone that link that goes up every Friday that ACAST link. you give us a little retweet or a little quote tweet, whatever it is, you'll get entered into the hat and you too could get a special Season 3 Twitter Hollywood Talk of Fame star. We are coming to the end of Season 3. I'm not a liberty to say if I've come up with an idea for Season 4, so this might continue but let's pretend it isn't gonna. And there might be a drum roll, and this could be the last one as this is of course Season 3 finale. A new member of the Hollywood uh, Talk of Fame coming at the end of this episode.
1: Well, I mean that sounds like a whole load of bullshit you could say, <laughs> because he hasn't planned any of this. But who knows? I'm sure you'll surprise us all with another brilliant invention of yours, which will make my life more difficult than it <laughs> probably needs to be. And on that note, I should point out as well, because we are drawing to the end of the season, that does mean that whether I like it or not, there will be a bunch of stars to brighten up the sky, as you once called them, Michael, a constellation to mm-hmm. bring of all the people who have had The wonderful stars that you came up with at the start of this season. They're coming to you soon. Be very excited about that. More blue stars for everybody who seems to have earned them. However, in the nature of being excited about the end of this, we have made it to the end of season three. Season three, episode 12. We have the Netflix synopolis here for this episode. It's titled, That Went Well. Mr. Peanut Butter Saves the Day. Todd Gets Exciting News. Bojack diane and princess carolyn pursue new opportunities and it is (laughs) for us it's been a week for whoever's listening to this podcast (laughs) when might it might be whenever this could be the year 2030 and if it is i hope the flying cars are treating us all very nicely but i think we might just about have at least calmed down maybe since the last episode perhaps for anybody who might have missed it we are coming off the back of a pretty tough one last week. I think we can both agree.
2: Yeah, I think it's safe to say with that episode leaving us with Bojack and scene of such heft, we should try and lighten the mood. So let's do that and go back to 2007 where we've got a scene with Bojack and Sarah Lynn and it's a scene of great heft. Hey. Um, we can hear her at one of her concerts, obviously in 2007, conclude another gig with the massive smash hit, My Hiney Ain't So Tiny. Uh, That's against a black screen. We can't actually see the gig taking place. We can just hear the the Bane crowd going wild. And it cuts to backstage where Bojack is at Sarah Lynn's dressing room door. Her kind of browbeaten Hollywood assistant, a type we've gotten used to now that has to do the run around for all the celebrities, says she's likely too busy. But when the assistant mentions that it's Bojack, Sarah Lynn is audibly thrilled to hear his name and insists that she send him straight in. Uh, They reconnect when Bojack goes to see her in the dressing room. She's absolutely thrilled that he actually came to see her and wants them to go out as soon as they possibly can. We need to go out, we need to catch up. But before they can do that, she's overwhelmed with various responsibilities of fame. Uh, Her assistant gives her a list of tasks that she's got to do, uh, various charitable contributions she's got to make, posters she's got to sign, just things of that stuff that you would expect stack up for world-renowned and famous pop stars, which certainly Sarah Lynn was at the time. Uh, She opens up to Bojack a little bit about... Um, how even her old friends only want Sarah Lynn. Nobody cares about Sarah Hemelfarb, which is, of course, a fantastic gag about Hollywood name changes and, indeed, real-life Hollywood name changes that a lot of actors and actresses have to go through. She refers to Bojack as a real friend, the only one she has left, in fact. And it says how she's uh, dangerously close to falling off the deep end. Quote, I know I'm smiling right now, but the light inside me is dying. (laughs) Uh, That is when all of a sudden the reality of what we know in the present day hits us and brings us back to the crushing past that Sarah Lynn was perhaps a ticking time bomb that Bojack just helped move that clock forward just a little bit. Uh, Bojack brings up the Bojack Horseman show. And in that moment, Sarah Lynn realises that he's there to give her the script. Of course, what this makes us realise is that sequence last week where Bojack was on a, a trip from the heroin, I believe it was, the board, the first bit of Bojack that he took Uh, gave him what we thought was either a flashback or a hallucination. Turns out it was both. This was 2007 for real, and BoJack was, for real, asked to go and get Sarah Lynn to be in the BoJack Horseman show. Uh, It kills the vibe between them completely, stone dead. Uh, She says, yeah, fine, okay, I'll I'll see what I can do. And he adds the script to this massive pile in the corner that we haven't even seen up to this point. Um, And in just a lovely detail, the script falls off. Out in a script, so it looks as if it's one she's not even going to ever have a chance to get to. They have this really awkward goodbye where Sarah Lynn says, "quote It's always nice to see a you," when she realises she can't even really call him a friend anymore. The shot lingers on Bojack's incredibly sad face from this from this sort of like exchange that he knows has gone badly. It's from a side profile, and then the side profile suddenly morphs to present day where we still see Bojack, baggy-eyed, tired. Uh, watching the telly, and we're hearing tributes coming on the news uh, after a little joke about Marine Five saying she will be loved and then promoting his appearance on the voice. Uh, we cut to Tom Gumbo Jumbo suddenly deadpan on the news, recapping saying for those just joining us, actress and pop star Sarah Lynn is dead at 31. And that's how we go into the credits. Whatever joke you may have had with the voice, uh, shout out with the hashtag whatever little bit of light and shade you might have had in the exchange back in 2007, you are brought back to the crushing reality that Bojack is currently living and we've only just hit the opening credits. Fabulous, fabulous cold open. A stone cold, freezing cold open. One of the best of the season.
1: So yes, unfortunately, for anybody who was holding on to hope last week that maybe, just maybe, maybe it wasn't going to be the way we thought it was, that little percent that you had in your head, well, Tom Jumbo of all people, has mm. completely and utterly squashed all hope, Michael. That you're, <laughs> if you're ever going to have a whale of a time, it's not with Tom. <laughs> it's not with Tom, Gumbo Jumbo, because he's just told us all that Sarah Lynn is indeed dead as fuck. <laughs>
2: yeah, very well put. Very well put. <laughs> um, to move from my giant laugh to about 50 as this episode starts proper. It does not go back to Bojack mourning the loss of the 31-year-old Sarah Lynn, but to Margot Martindale, who is on the lamb, Still with Bojack's boat, if you remember when we last saw her, she was taking the boat, she was escaping the law yet again. She's got the giant uh, paper mache Todd head, who at this point she's talking to, um, suggesting that the time she's been out there has sent her a little bit mad. Uh, at this point, we uh, cut to the a blimp in the sky, where these blimp pilots notice... <laughs> um, that it's a character tractor as Margot Martindale driving the boat. The boat turns out to be a secretary of blimp. More on that in a minute. In the meantime, a cargo ship is speeding at some pace containing lots of pasta, as we learned from the ship's captain's own conversation um, on the phone with a waiter that it turns out to be the man that left Elephant. Wait waiter that Bojack chased out in that dramatic episode where he eventually sacked Princess Carolyn. Uh, he's opened up his own Italian restaurant, but they're under pressure to get the pasta as quick as possible. Sandro.
1: Sandro for everyone at Sandra, home yes, trying to remember
2: um, so they need to get the pass as quick as possible so they're going at quite a speed through the ocean um, and the increasingly deranged Margot seems to think they want a game of chicken and yeah. decide to speed up herself uh, back in the blimp we hear of the collision through the uh, co-pilots. This is a great BoJack trick before, where often you are aware of something incredibly awful happening, but you don't get to see it. We've obviously had it in this episode, with Sarah Lynn singing, My honey is So Tiny. Sarah Lynn's death last week was played to Pitch Black Darkness. And indeed, the massive crash between Margot Martindale's boat and the ship is narrated by the captains of the Secretariat Blimp. Uh, Mar- Margot the Toddhead and the people from the other boat, uh, as well as mountains of spaghetti, fill the ocean as the detritus of this crash spreads out across the sea. But to make matters worse in a wonderful callback to what they uh, all thought would happen when we first saw the Secretariat Billboards, The sun bounces off the mirrored blimp and begins cooking the pasta. It starts to broil it in the ocean. We cut to Tom Gumbo Jumbo reporting on this news. I love how Sarah Lynn's death has already been replaced by this in the ever sort of rolling news of Hollywood Uh, in the news studio. And he notes that it could be absolutely fatal for the residents of Pacific Ocean City. Yet another callback to an episode in this series. It is going to be a fatal disaster as we look in the sort of Times Square area of Pacific Ocean City. You just see this mound of spaghetti lurching over the top of them, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, there's There's an expert who is from the Food Channel noting that it could smother and broil the sea life if it falls atop them. Uh, and basically, they're reporting on this as if it's already a finished natural disaster. They say nothing could help. Nothing, Nicholas. I mean, nothing, apart from the ridiculous and unlikely circumstances that somebody had an unprecedented supply of spaghetti strainers. And even then, even if you had somebody with all those spaghetti strainers, you'd need strong swimmers, such as like hypothetically the sexy killer whales that were for Cabra Dabra. But even then, you'd need to access the people that have access to those spaghetti strainers and those killer whales from Cabra Dabra. Mr. Peter but could be that guy, but unfortunately he's going to see Secretary in the middle of the day because he's wild at the idea that cinemas would show films in the middle of the afternoon. He's chosen today to finally go and watch it, having decided to nominate it for an Oscar at one point. And he even notes that he's gonna switch his phone off for two hours. We cut to the uh, the moment of which uh, Todd waking up in the Gabber cadabra offices to the whales. Uh, crowding around the scene in tears. We can, are left to assume that maybe some of their family members in Pacific Ocean City might be affected by this potential disaster. Uh, and then Todd realizes that they are the ones that can save the day. He frantically tries to get through to Mr. Peanut Butter and has no luck. Uh, so instead, he charges around his house. In the meantime, we see uh, Mr. Peanut Butter leaving the cinema and noting that he has 98 unlistened to voicemails and decides that he must listen to them in order. <laughs> <laughs> so he listens to the first couple of Todd absolutely panicking he listens to a third one uh, that has absolutely nothing to do with the disaster and then suddenly realises he has to he gets to the gist of the crisis basically and he abandons that plan uh, and we cut to Mr. But Todd and the whales arriving armed to the tits quite literally in the case of whales with all of these spaghetti strainers in just the most ridiculous and glorious payoff to this story of which we knew something was coming we just didn't know they would orchestrate something so big um, this rather deftly cuts to an old episode of horsing around Uh, Bojack is watching back at home obviously where Sabrina has made too much spaghetti and trashed the kitchen the kitchen in the horse's house looks very much like Pacific Ocean City would have done had Mr. Peanut Butter not saved the day Uh, it's just a lovely bit of dialogue that brings us back to life or in this case I guess death in terms of uh, Sarah Lynn uh, when she says uh, in the episode if you thought I'd made a big mess you wouldn't love me anymore and Bojack the horse's character says we're a family no matter what and I will always be there for you. So what they've done here, fabulously so, is create one of the biggest and stupidest set pieces in the history of the show. And think of the round that covers after three seasons that delivers an epic scale payoff to a long running gag throughout the season. That references about six other episodes and details that we have been allowed to throw away pretty much only to come back in this spectacular scene. and Before you can even just celebrate it as we would, if anybody ever listened to the Chicken for Days episode, we know that we barely got our breath back from laughing throughout. Before you can really just engage with the comedy of it, you are snapped back, as is Bojack's every day, to the reality of his situation with Sarah Lynn. I found myself wondering after this, these two scenes being tied together with that scene of Sabrina in the kitchen and horsing around with the pasta, if this might be the finest bit of BoJack Horseman so far, because it forced us to continue to deal with the deaths while showing you how incredible this show is at telling jokes and using the characters in the universe that it's created. A total triumph, and the episode's not even five minutes old.
1: I mean, it's, you know, regularly we are surprised by this show, Michael. Regularly we yeah. find the show to be hilarious. And just when you think you're past the point of being surprised, they surprise you once again. They get you once again, just like me with the dad jokes you never knew were waiting for you right round the corner as you're about to take a drink of water. But yes, brilliant stuff. This really, really good. I remember the first day I'm watching this and just thinking. The second that the expert starts saying, hypothetically, if we had, and I was like spaghetti strainers, and just thinking of all the little connections towards the entire company, cabracadabra is accidentally being built to this. In the, way, <laughs> yeah. in, in the weird evolution that we've lost the whole origin story of Cabra Cadabra, as you have seen the way that Todd's whole company has transformed due to the ugly vehicle that is capitalism, like literally that's paid off in this brilliant guy. Mr. Peanut Butter's house full of spaghetti straighteners, stri- <laughs> straighteners that he's had, literally because he, he had an idea with Oxnard at the beginning of this season to buy them all, and he just, Hasn't known why, and here it is. It's all just worked out from Almost like things just work out for the men in Hollywood, Michael. Although we are going to get more on that, I'm sure, in just a moment. Uh, mm. it, but genuinely, huge, huge payoff. And the fact they tied this back to actually meaning something, it brings us right back in this weird web of pasta, all the yep. way back to in and Bojack. I think
2: it's almost attempting to make you, and fair enough, as it should, as a great television show, attempting to make you mourn, sarah lynn as if she was a member of your family too the setup and you know i'll try to describe it and analyze it we still undersold it it's piss funny farce all yeah. of this the way that they, like the way that they arrive at all of this and yet as in real life if you were currently in mourning you may be temporarily distracted by something that made you laugh and then at that time you would go back to mourning you would go back to suffering the pain of something real and that's almost what this episode asks you to do. It asks you to be the protectorate of Sarah Lynn and feel the loss that Bojack's feeling. Because no matter how much you're howling at this audacious set piece, you don't get that long to do it before you're reminded of the thing that you should also be thinking about, maybe thinking about more.
1: I think this kind of does illustrate really well, though, why we should why why we always try to encourage people to watch the episode twelve straight after the episode eleven yeah. because. I feel like this is them. They know very much so RBW and the gang. They know that they dealt a massive blow to everybody in the last episode. And this is their way of like almost helping you grieve through that. Like mm. we've got the comedy, but then they do need to remind you that this is still important and you should tap into it. But we promise you, if you touch in with it for a couple of minutes, we're going to give you another pile of comedy and it's going to all be relevant. Even the point where the transition, that transition shot they use from the past apocalypse to do like the bowl of spaghetti that goes across the screen and wipes it off and yeah. we end up in the episode of Horsin' Around. It's just such a clever way of doing it. It ties in all the themes of a sitcom and daftness, but actually the whole thing is, that's just quite a brevity to its not it, isn't it?
2: There is. It's, it's just tremendously elegant, I think,
0: mm. early
2: on. It's like it's big stuff for a finale when, as you say, typically they wait so much in episode 11 that the argument could be made that it's kind of like, it's quite lightweight. Uh, that plot feels like weight with all the pasta but in reality it's as heavy as that big sinking ball falling on top of pacific ocean city and it doesn't get a great deal easier straight away diane rocks up at bojack's and gets the darkest of uh, what are you doing here um mm-hmm. bojack's in his morning suit and we learn that the funeral has already happened this is not something again that we're going to be able to see or live through he's back from the funeral um he suggests that the vibe was people feeling like it was bound to happen, that it was destiny. And unfortunately, it was just in Sarah Lynn's cards, basically. Uh, But he, of course, thinks otherwise, and of course he should. Um, He largely blames himself. He says, quote, I'm poison. I come from poison. I have poison inside me, and I destroy everything I touch. That's my legacy. Uh, Diane, instead of doing what she's done in the past, maybe, and letting that, I don't know, letting that breathe, um, letting that get space, she instead... Uh, tries to counter that. She shares a story of how Horsin' Around brought her dysfunctional family together when she was younger, of course, back in Boisson. Uh, she says, quote, for half an hour, half an hour a week, uh, I had a home and it helped me survive. Um, the ego boost, I say ego boost, it feels real. It feels like she's trying to like draw from a genuine experience to help him. It does evidently do some good for Bojack um, because he finally reverts to what he should have been doing a long time ago which is doing the same for her, which is supplying her with an injection of positivity that she desperately needs. Says that she's far too good to be tweeting uh, and doing Instagram captions for various celebrities. Um, of course, he may not know that the ramifications of his decision-making with Princess Carolyn have affected her too. Um, but he does say, uh, you know me, you know me better than anybody and you can't not be a part of my life. It's the most earnest and open and sincere He's been with her for quite a while. He also notes in this conversation that he was hurt, that she did kind of build a bit of distance between the two of them mm-hmm. after, you know, after other recent events. Um, we'll come back to Diane a little bit later on this episode. At this point, we'll go into our traditional podcast, awesome thing where we focus on the Bojack plot because there is more Diane peanut butter Todd, and all that to come from the farce at the start of the episode. So we'll stick with Bojack. He, uh, he calls Bradley Hitler Smith and he tells him after some uh, soul searching that he really wants to do Ethan around. Um, obviously going back on the comments that Anna very cruelly made to Bradley when he was at the door the last time he was in Hollywood Uh, he really genuinely earnestly commits this time encouraging Bradley to immediately announce from inside his tool shop that he was closing it forever because he's going back to Hollywood uh, while he's got uh, brilliantly a shop full of customers, tells yeah. them just to get out. He's abandoning <laughs> that business yet again, even though he's already had his fingers, never mind burnt, like badly sort of incinerated by the Hollywood machine just weeks ago. It's happening again. Uh We find Bojack and Ethan on the set, uh, Ethan, uh, <laughs> Bojack and Bradley on the set of Ethan Around. Uh, It's almost an exact replica of the horse in Around set, exactly as you would imagine. Uh Bojack has notes on the script, uh, which... Ethan, at first, Ethan again, Bradley at first worries could be about the amount of yawsy yowza bo-bowsers. <laughs> Too many or not enough? Bojack quickly moves on, says it's actually about how Bradley has scripted Bojack's character, the horse, to have all the big laughs. Um, rather selflessly and unexpectedly, Bojack insists that Bradley take the big gag uh, and then actually coaches him on how to do it. He says, now do it big, now do it small, now throw it away. There's a real actor-to-actor process happening between the two of them uh, about the about how to get this joke right. Um, the gag, by the way, that went well, um, is the episode title, but it isn't even that good, uh, which obviously speaks to the, the relatively low bar they're trying to limbo under with this show. But it's not really about the quality of the joke. It's about how they collaboratively sharpen it to the point at which at least it's the best version it possibly can be, and it's for Bradley's character, not for BoJack. Uh, it's to the point where this might actually work out. And in case that wasn't made clear, they use the horsing around interstitial music to move from one season to the next one from one scene to the next rather than your traditional bojack one. Um feels like a, a nice stopping point this here. Ethan around was something that felt again like established with the pasta scene, something of a, a joke to throw away in an earlier episode of season three. And they brought it back for a quite a major plot point here. Um Bradley Hitter-Smith remains tragic and yet is this a case of Bojack still trying to learn from Sarah Lynn and again trying to be better to one of his pretend children we don't normally see him on sets being so keen to work with people on the process of it this doesn't feel like an accident.
1: I don't think there's any coincidence that uh, the loss of Sarah Lynn all of a sudden we find he wants to reconnect with another one of his castmates from horsing around, I think that they're very specifically deliberate about that. Obviously, Bradley Smith is the one who ticks the box best. Um, given that he obviously wanted to do this show, I just think it's such a they try to inject it with a lot of sincerity. Yeah, where mm. Bo Jack it, it reminded me a lot of Bo when he decides to take interest in Todd's rock opera. Like, it's very, it's very sweet, isn't it? The scene is really sweet, it's very, very sweet. Like, that the genuinely the one on set's really nice, like where. Mm they're back and forth and, and he treats him as an equal rather than yeah. rather than just be like I'm the star you're the here he treats him like an equal if anything he's trying to build up he's trying to bring uh, Bradley Hitler Smith's confidence up with his like he wants to bring them up together yes it obviously might be driven by his guilt but he has just had the conversation with Princess Carol uh, with Princess Carol I was going to call her Princess Diana there Christ <laughs> uh, with, with with Diane should I say yeah. where he says uh, about about change, how he, how he needs to change is what he says. And obviously he says it's not going to happen because he comes from poison, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a good, it's a good step. It's a small one and it certainly doesn't negate all of the very bad, dark things that are going on right now. But you're right, it really was like on set. This was such a lovely moment between the two. Mm, it's,
2: it's nice. And it again gives you hope, I guess, for Bojack's next move being a one in a maybe a better direction, in a more positive direction. Cut to, as you say, them recording the episode of horsing Around. Um, the horse is trying to convince uh, Julia, who is a young girl uh, wearing a horse head, obviously, uh, but she is very much the Sabrina character of Ethan Around, the young girl, uh, to try on her roller skates. Uh, before they can finish the scene and do the big gag, uh, a light falls down, so they have to reset the shot. And in between, Bojack's just having a conversation uh, with the young actress playing Julia. Uh, She's called Chloe. He asks if she has any friends in the audience. And she says she doesn't, but uh, her mom and dad are there. And Bojack says, uh, do you want to know a secret about your mommy and daddy? They are really proud of you. Again, a huge turning point for Bojack's character after him saying the exact opposite to Sarah Lynn when she was that age. It's again, reflective of him trying to learn from those mistakes. Uh, He then asks her what she uh, wants to be when she grows up. And she says she wants to be like him. This seems to shock him. She says she wants to be famous. This seems to shock him even harder. Uh, he is startled so much so that he kind of pops to his feet. Uh, he begins to stumble, starts saying, oh, my God, oh, no, I can't do this. Um, looks as if he's about to have some sort of panic attack or some sort of breakdown. Uh, Ethan doesn't stand, tells him, come back, and he you to get the show finished. But Bojack is having none of it. Um, this single conversation, this single interaction, again, born out of his attempt to be better, to get it right this time, has instead snapped him back to the reality of how he's got it wrong the first time and how that outweighs anything he can try and do. It maybe highlights that perhaps this was more of a superficial attempt to right some of the wrongs. Um, He wants to leave immediately, wants to get away from the set. Um, He says he doesn't belong here. Uh, uh, (laughs) Bradley asks him where he's going and he simply just says, He doesn't know. It's at this point that Stars by Nina Simone plays. um, Again, just another tremendous soundtrack choice. And down the line, we might have to knock up some sort of Bojack Horseman-related soundtrack because this really is a special, special tune that plays out all the big remaining moments of this episode. Uh, Bojack is in the Tesla. Um, He's obviously somehow got that out of his pool. Uh, He surveys his smashed-up house, um, still empty, still from the Oscar party, Time in that regard hasn't moved on, despite all the changes that we've seen undergone in his life ever since then. Um, this cuts in between other things happening to other characters, but we'll stick with Bojack Ali before moving to the other characters. Uh, he just drives. He drives and he drives and he drives, and we see him passing a sign that lets us know that he's leaving California. Uh, he's out in the kind of the desert flats of, uh, of the Western States of America, looking at his speedometer. It says 60 miles an hour. Puts his foot on the pedal, 70. Puts his foot on the pedal again, 80. 90 100 it's going up and up and up bojack closes his eyes puts his head back and just lets go of the wheel and a gorgeous aerial shot it's only very brief but it just cuts the aerial shot of the car sort of veering across the road but in a way where it doesn't appear to be in under any threat there's no other sort of oncoming traffic he's completely got the road to himself Um, But then it cuts back to Bojack's face and he kind of briefly opens his eyes and sees something in the distance in the desert along the flats Uh, and he screeches to a halt. He pulls the car right across the road and he gets out of the car and he has a look and he sees wild horses running. Uh, It's Bojack, obviously. So they're in kind of cut denim and they're running as... People would, they're on two legs and they're running like like professional athletes would, but they're just in wild, torn clothes. It's a really lovely close-up of the wild horses where you can see the sweat pouring from their brow, but they're all collective, they're all together, they're all in a group. And of course, they're just keeping running. They seem to have that one sole purpose. Bojack takes it in, just takes in the majesty of the scene. And it's that, that takes us to the credits. And it's that that rolls credits indeed on season three, but it's not entirely maybe all the way that this episode ends. And that's going to take us to the other characters in this show. We'll move on if you don't mind to the rest of the plots before we maybe come back to what that ending was, because there was a, a little minor character detail that feeds into that as well. And um, we're going to go back a little bit to uh, Mr. Peanut Butter, Diane. Princess Carolyn and Ralph Stilton all having dinner together and um, they're discussing how uh, Mr. Peanut Butter has become a hero, obviously, off the back of uh Pastor Geddon being avoided. Um, how Cabra Cadabra is a an disastrous and problematic organization, and how are those two things going to work? And Mr. Peanut Butter says, Well, for one thing, um, he saved lives, so it's okay. And anyway, he's gonna sell the company um for an absolute fortune, joking that if Princess Carolyn hadn't folded up Vim, she'd be loaded too. <laughs> um <laughs> through partially gritted teeth, she admits that she's happy for him uh but she's also happy to have had the time off uh her and ralph have been on holiday to egypt of course they have because they treat cats very well over there um and he notes here drops into conversation for the first time that he has a free room in a hotel anywhere in the world because of course he's an heir to the stilton hotel chain we've never made that connection why would we have before diane makes it for us to let that leave in the episode um Mr. Peanut Butter gets a call from his new agent, who we don't know who that is, but with a host of new offers, he's just accepting (laughs) offer after offer after offer. Princess Carolyn can hear this and is devastated um, because she can't help um, reverting to the agent of old. Um, There's a little bit of eavesdropping about it. Um, But Ralph talks over her before she can get too agency um, to ask Diane what she's doing for work now. Just as she um, admits that she doesn't really want to jump into anything, Princess Carolyn interrupts her to suggest that Diane speaks to Ralph's sister, who was setting up a, quote, feminism lifestyle celebrity blog newsletter community hub, and needs a, quote, partner, editor, bomb ass super bitch. Her words, not Princess Carolyn's, but she thinks Diane would be perfect for it. She sets up the meeting, uh, as Ralph very visibly worries about her working again. Um, just briefly touch on this little bit of Princess Carolyn, then we'll take a stop to kind of cover Princess Carolyn and Ralph because it's You know, mostly all we get from them this episode and they're back at the Princess Carolyn's uh, apartment after dinner uh, and Princess Carolyn and Ralph uh, discuss that she's no longer an agent. Uh, uh, Sorry, no longer a manager. Princess Carolyn says, well, I was actually an agent. Ralph doesn't seem to really know the difference, but says, quote, whatever it was, I'm glad it's over because I don't want to share you with anybody. Uh, And it's in this conversation that Princess Cardam realises that maybe Ralph was right when he mentioned manager. Maybe that's what she should have been all along. Uh, Ralph cautiously supports her, but can't help but note the very clear similarities between the two roles, but it's too late, that soundtrack. We always hear whenever Princess Carolyn is is doing bits, is doing business, she's putting deals together. That kind of like fast moving Hollywood. Um, it's like a, I think it's like a, a snare drum sort of hi hat noise that you just hear of things ticking over. It's a mind ticking over. It's Hollywood ticking over. Snaps back into life, um, and she she says, "I'm going to be a manager." Looking out of her own window in a shop, surely framed to resemble back when she would stare out of the vigour window and see the world of opportunity in front of her, she has perhaps learnt nothing. I want to pause here because I think it's obviously quite a nice thing to do here with Princess Carolyn finding her new normal and that normal being the same as the old normal, only with a different title. But also, something I didn't pick up in my original watch of this. I
1: think I know what that, you're going to say, but carry on.
2: I don't necessarily think Ralph has got all of her best interests at heart. And I have to admire the writing for braving up to the fact that even when they found the traditional nice, for the want of a better phrase, relationship for Princess character supportive is probably a better word, supportive relationship, nurturing all these qualities that she never got from Bojack. Um, yet it comes with a man still trying to put a thumb on a woman, trying to do more than one thing at a time. There is an element of... Control and always gets pushed past, and he never outright says don't do the thing, but he doesn't really throw his weight behind it either. And there's increasing references to I want you all to myself, and it's born out of this worry. But is he instead guilt in it? I I was really impressed with this because they asked, they threw some shades of grey on what was otherwise Princess Carolyn's first black and white relationship in the whole show.
1: And Michael, what colour was Ralph Stilton? Is he grey? He's grey. He's grey. Of course he, he is. is. Lovely. Um, yes, it's funny you mention this because I think I clocked this on about my third watch through and I, it was more prominent this time around, I guess. But they're very careful the way they do it because it's super subtle. And yeah. like the moments when they're in the restaurant and he talks over the top of her, almost as if they're like, shh, 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 like you, you don't want mm. that. That's, that's not what you want. You want this other thing. We, we've already talked about what you want and we've agreed that you don't want that. Like, It's very much... And then because they've added that extra layer of detail where they've revealed that Ralph is, in fact, is is heir to the Stilton Hotel franchise that essentially means he's set for life. Yes, he does the greeting cards, but ultimately, he's obviously not too bad off either, shall we Hmm. say. So it means he can look after her financially. But then that means Princess Carolyn becoming a kept woman, which I think we can all agree is not what she would ever want to be. But as you say... I think he does have her interests at heart. The thing I think is that he maybe doesn't, maybe given that little extra context we have about him, perhaps doesn't see. He's hitting his head. He's like, well, I can provide for her. I can do this. I can do that. Why would she ever need to go anywhere else? This kind of thing, and that doesn't necessarily fit though with the mold of who Princess Carolyn is. You could argue. You could definitely argue the case where he's just he's concerned for her because she. He knows how stressed she was when she had the previous job, and now he's thinking, Oh, God, is she going to end up putting herself in more stress for the brand new job? That ultimately, though, is her choice to make. But he makes this noise when she says, I'm going to be a manager. And you see Ralph just popping his head out from behind her, and he sort of goes, oh. And it's still pretty early on for them, yeah. too. Let's be fair. A little freebie he has that it's probably only a couple of months after. January fifteenth, which is the day of the big the big Bojack and Sarah yes. Lynn Vendo, we're in March, I think it is at this point.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And like it's still relatively early for those two. That's not a great deal of of, of stuff's gone on there. And I just think yeah, you're right, you're absolutely right. The shades of Grey Ralph are right there to be seen. Even if maybe he doesn't see them, we definitely see them. They're there, aren't they?
2: It's something Carolyn's career is revealed here to be something that will come between them before it ties them closer together and i think that's that was quite a just an unexpected thing for them to do through a relationship that already like pretty much out the gate felt right and i just thought that was quite a, a brave move they made um and to do it off the back of obviously mr peanut butter inadvertently triggering something in her to want to be back in that game through this one dinner they've had um i thought it was absolutely superb um, especially because obviously ralph building himself gradually into this world he has introduced his sister into the conversation as a potential opportunity for diane and we meet uh, ralph's sister stefani who is meeting with diane at elefante and um, the food is awful by the way now i don't know who they got into replace them um, about working uh, for stefani's website girl Crush. Um, she's totally unfocused about their business model, which kind of raises Diane's eyebrows a little bit. But notes that she's rich, so at least she's not beholden to add revenue or other stakeholders or anything like that. And notes that Diane is, quote, so cruish. Uh, before Diane can be cynical about that, uh, Stefani mentions how she loved Diane's attempt to bring down Hank Hippopoulos. Says it wasn't on Fleek, Fleek was on it. This is, of course, the perfect moment of Diane's dreadful last few years to reference, to get Diane Berry on board with it. She is extremely appreciative that somebody out there was watching and looking on and listening. And this somebody potentially has a little bit of power to be able to help Diane take this further forward than she could. But she's not maybe as dense and daft as Diane first thought. She asks a pretty major question. She says, if she had to, if she absolutely had to, would she write about Mr Peanut Butter? For example... If, she, if he did something problematic and she had a hot take, Diane said that, well, no, he's her husband. She would just talk to him. But Stefani asks, what well, if she's tried that already and he just didn't get it? And anyway, her readers looked up to her and wanted her view. Could she write about it anyway? At this point, there is a gorgeous, slow and really disarming zoom right into Diane's face as for the first time, the value of her words start to outweigh what people might think about her husband, or by extension, anybody else that she knows in Hollywood. Uh, the big question is what it lingers on. Could she still write about, it if it mattered, what her readers thought her take on it was? It is with that cut that we get Mr. Peter Butter back in their kitchen saying, you got the job? And Diane says, I got the job. So obviously, again, the great unseen. Diane has come to that conclusion that she wants to get the job we will revisit uh, Diane and Mr. Butter presently because we cut to the one other third of Cabra Cadabra, Todd, who is taking a cheque for $8 million. Uh, each owner, Mr. Butter Todd, and Emily will all get their $8 million each for the sale of Cabra Cadabra. Um, There's a great lovely meta joke where he's asking various questions about how the adventures might change, how the dynamic will be different now that Todd's a millionaire to so nobody in particular other than, of course, to the viewer. As he's leaving the offices, he bumps into Emily in the lift, um, who they haven't seen for a little while. So we cut to them in the diner. Um, having ginormous banana splits, talking about what they're going to do with their $8 million. Uh, Emily wants to buy a really fancy hat, like a really fancy one, and then buy a T-shirt saying, hey, look at my hat. Todd wants to go to a super nice restaurant and order everything on the menu at least just once. Uh, And then notes that him and Emily should do that together. That, of course, brings up the conversation of, well, what are we if we're going to get together? Um, Emily notes there, obviously, confusion from the previous episodes. It was very much really confusion that led to her sleeping with Bojack because she at first wanted to go back to the room with Todd and was kind of pie-faced that night. Um, She asks if he's gay and uh, says, you know, that would be no problem, of course. But Todd says he doesn't think he is. But then he doesn't think he's straight either. He doesn't know what he is. And then, quote, I think I might be nothing, which off the back of being given $8 million shows you perhaps the value of money to someone like Todd. Uh, (laughs) Emily notes that that is okay. But before they can really dwell on this potentially big awakening for Todd, the waitress returns the bill and he's accidentally tipped her $8 million. Quote, Guess I'm broke again. <laughs> and they laugh together in the diner as the camera pulls away. We are back again. Um, I'll race through all of this because we are hitting the finale and we can kind of cover all the beats of this. Uh, peanut butter and Diane are celebrating too, clinking glasses on his own eight million. Obviously, the number of opportunities that are going to come up now that he is a minted hero. Everything has really gone right for peanut butter over the course of one episode, uh, and he gets a knock at the door. Uh, it's his first ex-wife katrina they exchange frosty glares and frosty words because they just did not get along chalk and cheese these two but she notes that she works for a guy and they need a guy and he might be that guy they're looking for a hero and she has an opportunity but it's not a work one it's to be the governor of california we will leave that cliffhanger there. But if you want one more, here you go. We are back to Princess Carolyn resetting the offices in what is now being called Vim Management as a sign is getting put up and everything is being put back to exactly where it was, including Judah, who is back in her life, already setting up new meetings, already setting up what they're going to do, talking about whether or not they should bother with Bojack. But he's, of course, gone as far as they're concerned. And he says, well, OK, I've got a girl on the phone for Bojack. But she sim- Princess Carolyn simply says... I don't work for Bojack. So Judah simply says, sorry, can't help you and hangs up.
1: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
2: The other end of that phone reveals a teenage girl in a teenage girl's bedroom. That holy shit, Nicholas, looks a lot like Bojack. And we are out. Oh,
1: God. That's too much, man. (laughs) Yes, what a cliffhanger. What a lovely bunch of cliffhangers, I guess, Mm. to kind of... I mean, where do we start? So... Obviously, let's go with the one you've just mentioned, which is like a complete mind blower. Mm-hmm. This young girl who is a horse woman, has no, <laughs> there's no question about that, um, who's obviously called up for Bojack. What we're meant to take from that, of course, is kind of up in the air. Like you get a quick layout of where she is for all intents and purposes. It looks like a teenager's mm-hmm. young adult's bedroom kind of thing, as you, as you mentioned there. Um, but we don't get much else. We just get no. the. The present, which I, I'm kind of okay with. I'm all right with that. I like, I like it. This, this is a show I trust, so I have no worries there. Exciting to think what that could lead to. But then, the Mr. Peanut Butter stuff, of course, just a blind bombshell from. If you think about where he was, like you know, he was feeling pretty down in the dumps not too long ago about his mm-hmm. brother and the twisted spleen, which ended up being okay. Um, <laughs> and now he's it. He's like a millionaire on top of all the money he already made. I should point out from various other bits. He's had the agents ringing him off the phone. He's a hero, a literal hero for saving The Cook <laughs> and, and he's with a wife who's just got a brand new job mm-hmm. and everything's coming up the peanut butters, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. PB. Mr. and Mrs. PB, which always weirded me out that Diane isn't Diane, like, she's obviously, I mean, Diane, strong feminist, so of course she kept her name, mm-hmm. but Diane peanut butter, that would be quite something, <laughs> wouldn't doesn't it? Work, <laughs> it? doesn't work, does it? It does not work. It does not work. Um obviously Princess Carolyn, exciting brand new uh, venture with Vim Management. <laughs> <laughs> I love this because it it almost negates all of it because it's like we didn't have the money to keep Vim agency afloat, <laughs> but we've got the money for Vim Management. <laughs> we can make this work, we can. I do I do love this though. You want it you love to see Princess Carolyn back in business. Mm. Not nearly because you just want to see Judah back in the game. Because he's oh, just yeah. a, he's such a good egg, hey, Judah. I love Judah. And uh, seeing him back in the game is more than pleasing. And of course, of course, of course. Oh, actually, not to skip out on Todd, of course, who, who <laughs> has become a millionaire and then lost it all in the most Todd way possible. The tip doesn't even make sense. I think his meal ends up coming at $12.94. <laughs> and he's somehow right here. It's brilliant. It's stupid, Todd. I love that it. It's obviously him mentally referencing this beforehand. Like, what's going to happen next? And, well, <laughs> actually nothing because they've just took it away from you instantly, which is magical. But yes, Bojack ending the season with just the, like, one thing this show does really well, and, well, one of and many things this show does mm. really well, as we've discussed, soundtracking is always good. They know when to get a good song in there and really deliver. But one thing you'll learn as you go further throughout the show, Bojack Horseman in Cars or BoJack Horseman in transit is, mm. is the show you could watch forever. I would watch a loop of just BoJack and the vehicle moments that happen in this show because there mm. are many of them, and this show has got them down to a T. Not nearly.
2: In, in Like in real time, you would just watch him travel yeah. across America. i watch, yeah. him, I'd
1: watch yeah. him travel. Like this, this scene of, I mean, everybody, I don't care who you are, whether you have the best life in the world or just maybe not such a great life, like, everybody's had that thing. If you've ever driven a car where you just think, I just want to drive. I just want to drive. I get in the car and you just want to drive. You don't care where it is, you just want to go. Mm. They depict that perfectly here. Obviously, a man who's had a weird, really, let's put it right, a really fucked up couple of years, like, just across the board. Not that it's like, I feel sorry for him, I just mean there's been a lot going on he's mm. been at the core of. But that, I feel, I don't know who was more disarmed at the end of that. BoJack seeing all them. Uh, horses running, or me watching Bojack saying all them horses. Running. <laughs> Either way, the effect was the desired one, I imagine. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's
2: beautiful. It's really, you know, I, that word gets tossed off a little bit now, but it was beautiful. There again, the the shot where I was just mesmerised by the like the close up on the horses as they were running. They looked, again, it's an animation, so it almost feels like when you're talking about like directorial decisions. I don't, I don't know if that's quite right. But it, they just looked so together and focused, yeah. or like in about four faces, it was as if you could see and feel all the traits Bojack wished he could espouse, and had none of them, and was instead stood trying to—I don't know—maybe trying to take them in and try and suck them into himself just by watching them going by. It, it was absolutely like as majestic as a big-budget Hollywood film that would have a real-life version of that scene. Yeah, That's that's the best comparison I can give this. Millions and millions of dollars would have been spent on lining up a load of real horses to charge through some incredible, like, sweeping desert vista. And I thought this animated version of that did as successful a job of putting across just how powerful that should be.
1: The animation here, particularly on the faces, I think, is something that really, really drives us home. And, like, I'll be honest, the first time I watched it, it took us a second to kind of gauge... Like what was going on? Because I think for if you if if you allow yourself to fall into it, it's quite easy. But if you if you do get caught up on the fact that these are horse men, like actually, for a second you're like, oh, I remember feeling like, what are they running for? Like, what are they running from? Is something big happening here? And then you realise what's actually happening. This is just meant to be a bunch of horses, as you would see in the wild, running. Some of them got clothes on. Some of them, you know, like trousers or whatever, ripped jeans. Because there's also that little thing of I felt like. When you get the close-ups, you could mistake it for being panic almost. But I feel like that's—it's kind of—I feel like maybe they did it on purpose. I feel like the because Bojack is having—he's not panicking, but he's—he's he's in a bad way, isn't he? Mm. And you see these horses who are on a glance. If you apply your own context to the horses running, you might think, "Oh God!" Like they're running away from something. Yeah, that's—you could feel that. You that's can what feel we maybe, with him, yeah, it? it's what we know of him, isn't it? What we know of him because you think maybe they're running away. But then, as you said. When you take yourself out of Bojack's shoes and just put yourself in the scene, ah, uh, you suddenly realise no, they're actually just working really hard to mm. run somewhere together, yeah. and that's the difference. It's the hard work that the baboon talked about in season two. Yes. It's hard work. It, it get it, it. You know, it's hard. It gets a little bit easier, but you've got to do it every day. And these horses are running, and it looks like they're going at a hell of a rate, and like. The look on the face is almost one of pain, but it's not. It's just hard work. They're running determination, yeah, determination mm. as they run across that. I was going to say run across a storm there, run across that desert. Um But just mesmerising, totally disarming, and I mean, I'm not even surprised at this point. The show continues to deliver beautiful aesthetics that yeah. always help the narrative. However, it's not just narrative storytelling, Michael. They do do other things in this episode. <laughs> Would you like to hear some of them? I'd love to. I'd of love course, to. you would. This for is the la- part. for
2: the last time in season three. For the last
1: time in season three. From horses running around to just some horsing around, I guess. That's <laughs> a close enough segue. This is the part of the show where we go back and we look through the episode for all of the hidden meanings behind things, all of the small details that you might have missed, all of the Easter eggs, and all maybe or some of the best jokes that lie in the episode that just pop me stupid, had me <laughs> laughing my arse off in an episode where. Maybe we could have done with a little bit of laughter. So, we go back to the very beginning. We go back to Sarah Lynn's dressing room. And uh, there's a few things, like a whole host of things going on on the wall. Uh, We'll start with some posters that were in there for a few people who may or may not have been there before here. We've got a poster for Coy Orbison, (laughs) 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 which is a brilliantly uh, pictured fish meant to be, of course, Roy Orbison, who features his special guests. The hooty Hoos. <laughs> that was great. There's also a poster for Troy and his dazzling feet. There's no real, uh, no real sort of extra given to us that almost confused Michael as the the poster for Moudini, which just says <laughs> a night of magic and baby products. <laughs> oh no, I think it might be. It's, it's either ba- no, ba- baby products or dairy products. I can't decide. I think it was baby products. Might be dairy though. If it was Moudini, Moudini. I'll let someone else <laughs> could find out and double check that one because they were quite close. It was hard to make up, but there you go. And uh, there's also a post of the Beatles, who are, of course, just four Beatles, which we've seen used before brilliantly. Um, what else have we got? We got a great. <laughs> it's a great gag, and I wonder if there was any re- relevance that I maybe had missed. There's a bunch of headpieces that Sarah Lynn has obviously worn all during her performances. Mm. There's one just a giant cheese piece on a head. Um, right just a cheese head um, there's one that's like a giant it's Marge Simpson looking hair but it's up and it's silver with a silver streak through it
3: okay, yeah.
1: very reminiscent of Marge Simpson's hair mm. and then there's just a panda balaclava <laughs> <laughs> because, because of course there is um, I also thought it was brilliant that when she does the little gag about oh you've got to do a bit for charity yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's for a charity doctors without posters <laughs> <laughs> brilliant stuff and also a little bit of trivia for anybody who wasn't paying attention, uh, we get Sarah Lynn's real name, her original real mm. name. Sarah, and I had to put the uh, the closed captions on for this so I get it correct. Uh, Sarah Helmulfarb, which is H E L M U L F A R B. So there you go. Also, how brilliant is it that they just the stuff that the make she has to remove her makeup is basically a bunch of industrial tools? She's got. <laughs> Industrial strength paint solvent to remove her makeup oh. and she uses an actual pair of pliers to pull off her fake eyelashes. And there's like hammers and screwdrivers and stuff in a little thing.
2: every night. Yeah,
1: every night. A painful view on what women put them through just for the entertainment of stupid, mm-hmm. stupid men like us. <laughs> uh, we go to the the ocean, I guess. We go to the ocean, Michael. Uh there's this, and we go inside the UR Secretariat blimp. The two pilots who are in there, of course, one of them, Michael, is a pig pilot who looks, he's, he doesn't look like him, but he looks like he could be friends with Porco Rosso. Uh, he, <laughs> he could well be a pilot friend of his, but mostly, Michael, I think the guy car is pigs can fly in Bojack Horseman, as we've seen Early in previous episodes, good. as the pig holds the balloon in season one <laughs> and all of us. But also, is his friend a sky pirate, I guess, because he's got an eye patch. So there you Very go. Nice. A pirate Very nice. of the sky. Still in the ocean. There's some brilliant bits yeah we get a zoom into the big boat you know when Margot martindale clocks it and we get that lovely mm. zoom like i said to find out what's going on a further ahead and there's a bird person comes into shot birds wearing like orange vest and trousers it like pops into shot and then dives into the water in this lovely scene only to pop back out of the water seconds later as it's choking on like the four like you know when you get a what do you call that thing when you get four uh, cans of pop and it's got like
2: oh yeah it's a bit they of plastic. You, they told you not to throw it in the sea. They told you not it, to yeah.
1: throw in the sea, yeah. basically. It's one of them. It's round his neck, and that's one can of squirt still attached <laughs> to the four-pack. And on a postcard, one of their called, I can't remember, at Podcast Horseman. You can tell us how stupid we are. Also, though, brilliantly, Michael, did you notice what the boat was called, that they're heading towards, or not?
2: No, I didn't know.
1: Oh, well, you are in for a treat. Because imagine this, the boat company that is heading towards our beloved character actress, Margot Martindale is called Cartondale cargo <laughs> <laughs> which for anybody who hasn't quite made the connection yet is of course a clever reverse twist on Margot Martindale carton a cartondale cargo which is absolutely sensational really oh, that's unbelievable it's so good they are more switched on oh, than you God. could ever possibly be and I, <laughs> and I just thought it was even more notable that the they well, not more notable than Cartondale Cargo, I will say. That's the top app. But the the, the two uh, sailors who are inside, of course, one is just a pirate person which continues this gag of sort of the sea and the, the themes of the sea, and the other is a British woman who's um, sailing the boat. It's the captain, I guess. And I just think the whole, her whole get-up is very much reminiscent of the East India Trading Company kind of stuff from oh, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean, that kind of thing. Uh, definitely that kind of vibe going on. Uh, but we cut to, as you mentioned, Sandro's Place, which is, of course, the new Italian restaurant of Sandro, who left Elefante and went to run his own place. The um, I don't want to do the accent because I won't do it justice, but the man who is a definitely an Italian stereotype by nature, as he would tell you. Um, but he's taken all of the staff from Elefante with him of course so we've got Sandro there himself he's the manager we've got the elephant bartender she was at uh, Elefante behind the bar now she's working for Sandro and we also get that ginger waiter with the slick back hair yes. he is now also working at Sandro's place um, brilliantly though <laughs> on on the boat back to the Cartondale cargo Michael <laughs> um, and we get a quick shot of the boat's controls and on the control panel there's two bits there's one that's just that's a, just a pile of buttons, and the name of that on top is literally important buttons is what it says. <laughs> and then next to that are the important boat controls, which say, stop, slow, cruise, fast, or too fast with two exclamation marks. <laughs> because doesn't that just happen in every bloody film with a boat where they're trying to go too fast? We could to MSNBC on the news channel, and Tom Gumbo Jumbo is at it again, Michael. He's, he's on form. We haven't seen it in a while where he's really been sharp and given yeah. us the news, but he gives us it here because he says, Disaster al dente off the coast of San Clemente, which is a brilliant line. <laughs> the headline, Past Apocalypse, because of course this is all going to be pasta themed. Or is it? Because as we get the shots from down in Pacific Ocean City, Michael, where the chaos has taken place, everybody's mm-hmm. worried underwater, all of the footage that has been kindly delivered to MSNBC by someone has all been shot on a shell phone, <laughs> <laughs> because of course it has. It's under the sea, Michael. They're all covered in shells. <laughs> shell phone coverage is high. Also, brilliantly, <laughs> we get Carla Hall, who features in this episode, as you mentioned, the "quote unquote" spaghetti scientist, who is joining <laughs> via Google Hangout, as Tom Gumbo says. Tom Gumbo Jumbo says, which then might have sounded weird, but right now mm. sounds kind of correct. I should point out for the text yeah. up. For the people listening in the future, the year is 2020 and the whole world is been in lockdown and Google <laughs> has become pretty much the norm for most people, along with Zoom meets and other service providers. I'm sure you're all capable of finding yourselves. Uh, but Carla Hall is, of course, actually a real American chef, a television personality and a former model, Michael. There you go, just in case you didn't already know. Um, we go to brilliantly, <laughs> as Mr. Pino put us at the cinema, Barclay Cinemas. <laughs> <laughs> and magically, we got a, a lovely shot in there of a bunch of films that are playing. We get Secretary, which he obviously ends up going to see. We get Star Wars, as in the, <laughs> the animal wars, and we also get Dead Poodle, nice. <laughs> a nod to Deadpool, and of course Haberdasher, which is in reference to the Haberdasher's Peanut Michael, which we've seen uh, uh, yes. a million times advertised in this show. Brilliantly, as well, which I think is correct. You might have to give me your take on this. The film clerk who was talking to Mr. Peanut Butter at Barklight is, of course, a dog, and that dog is a dog person, and that dog person's name on his tag is Wren. Now, is that obviously a reference to Ren and Stimpy, perhaps. Oh, yes. The dog from Ren and Stimpy. That's what became of Ren. There you go. That's what became of Ren. So that's very much, he's very much the same colour as Ren. It's the same type of dog, I think. Right. I could be wrong, but I'm fairly confident that that is where Ren ended up. Um, We go to Todd's new office, which you may remember he was looking to buy with Mr. Peanut Butter at that point, who was gazing wistfully out of the window during his dark times. Hashtag (laughs) dark times for the peanut butter. And... uh, (laughs) We go to back as he's lying there on his new... I love that he's got... He could have bought himself a bed. He could have done anything. But Todd has just bought himself a couch to sleep on (laughs) in in his brand new office, which is very Todd. Uh, But you hear the TV playing again. MSNBC news coming. You can see the... con, As you said, the things we don't see, we don't see the screen. We just hear the comments coming from the TV. And <laughs> Tom Gumbo Jumbo not to be outdone, Randy has sent him on a wild goose chase again this, tragi- <laughs> this tragedy truly puts the gnaw no into noodle, the rutro row into rotelli and the old man in manicotti <laughs> brilliant brilliant pass the puns, at which point he does end up saying to Randy, come on Randy just choose, <laughs> just choose your best one will you <laughs> um, brilliantly as I said, the calendar that's in the office for Todd uh, is <laughs> The the quote is success makes its own gravy, and it's a picture of a cat in a suit in a giant tub of gravy. A <laughs> <laughs> kind of nod to those old cat calendars, where they're hanging hanging their kitty or whatever the the, the yeah. old the old calendars are, um, and as, as I mentioned earlier, the month is shown to us on the calendar, which is March, it's hard to tell if it's been two months exactly since January 15th, but you kind of get the gist there's mm-hmm. been a bit of time has passed since then and brilliantly of course, more pasta puns, because pasta la vista Michael is what will happen to Pacific Ocean City if nobody gets down there with the <laughs> spaghetti strain, as as one of the real world women tells us we go back to Bart Lake Cinemas, Mr. Peanut Butter is in the cinema again this time, he's drinking Michael, what's he drinking? He's drinking Coke Cola, although it's not Coca Cola, it's Coca Koala.
3: Ah, you see, you
1: just weren't paying attention. Weren't paying attention, and of course, in the cinema at the same time with Mister Peanut Butter, the man we've mentioned before, and this, the guy who's wearing the my other bike is a tree t-shirt, is also in for the viewing of Secretariat. We go back to the beach, and I just had to mention this because it was too good. Who turns up to save the day, Michael? It wasn't the Fuji's, but it was Mr. Peanut Butter saying, "Spaghetti or not, here I come." <laughs> because, of course, it was another pasta pun. Honestly, the whole Mad Max theme of his arrival as well. By the way, as he comes down the board eh, the beach, sorry, and they've all got like makeshift-looking cars. With <laughs> it's all Mad Max theme. It's brilliantly it's well, well done. Um, we go to Bojack's house, and another. <laughs> As I mentioned already, another pasta pun kicks in. Yeah, the theme continues, as Bojack is saying in the episode of Horse Around, I've heard of pasta point and no return, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, also, a nice little touch here, because as you mentioned in the previous episode, during their Mad Bender, uh, Bojack and uh, Sarah Lynn visited Diane's house, didn't they? And they ended up brushing past her and peanut butter as mm. they thought they were themselves from the future, if you remember right. <laughs> yeah. They knock Diane over, and she breaks her wrist again. Well, as it happens, Diane has got a cast on her wrist once again, only this time it's a different colour. This one's a green one compared to what I believe was a blue one previously. Mm. So, yes, her cast has been changed there. And, of course, you did mention the recurring theme that we get, though, throughout this season. Of course, once again, what are you doing here? Comes back to bite everyone on the arse every now and again. And sure enough, Bojack says it to Diane when he's obviously not sure what she's doing here, Michael. (laughs) We go to the Tools store, Tools Olympia, where Bradley Hitler-Smith works. And you see, brilliantly, a shot of his telephone. Another phone gag, yeah. It's uh, all of the speed dials that he has on his phone. He's got Mom Home. He's got Mom Cell. He's got BoJack Horseman in at number three. And then, brilliantly, don't we all know how this one goes, at number four, he's got Pizza Shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also, brilliantly, the people you mentioned who are still in the store. There's a beetle who comes to the counter and inside the trolley of that beetle is just a pile of dung, Michael. So we are led to believe that this is a dung beetle, of course. It, just, nice. it just never stops. It never stops. It doesn't even end there because there's also a beaver who turns up and is an absolute shock who drops all of the planks of wood that he's going to buy <laughs> when uh, Bradley Hitler-Smith tells him the shop has been shut forever goodbye and leaves <laughs> in such a ball of anxiety and mess. Anyway, we cut across to Sandro's place once again. Some brilliant little gags here. There's a giant novelty coin on the wall. And this, we see all the setup. It's a typical Italian restaurant with all these little bits and pieces Mm. on the wall. The wall says on the coin, brilliantly embroidered around the face of someone, a man. Uh, It says, Vittorio, a spicy meatball. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just fantastic. Um, There's a bird person as well in the foreground of this uh, shot. It was eating a pizza? Presumably a crane with a really long neck. It like gets a slice of pizza, turns its head upwards, and just starts like gulping the pizza down <laughs> through its neck. It's wonderfully, wonderfully done. And even better than that is the picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa in the background. They've like the the picture is wonky, but the but they've made it wonky so the Tower of Pisa looks <laughs> like it's straight. It's, it's really straight. great. Yeah, it's brilliantly done. The the leaning tower doesn't look wonky, but the picture itself is completely skew-whiff, which should send everybody with OCD completely doolally. (laughs) But we go to the set of Ethan around next, and uh, this is some excellent stuff. If you ever thought that Bradley Hitler-Smith didn't value himself as a human being, when you would be absolutely spot on, because because Bradley Hitler-Smith has obviously presumably had a big hand design in designing the set. Hmm. And if you remember rightly, in the old set for Horse and Around, there's the pictures on the wall of everybody, and I yeah. think like the whole family together, and then there's a separate picture of Bradley Hitler-Smith by himself. Because he's not, <laughs> he's like, doesn't, he doesn't make the cut. Well, in the one show that's literally called Ethan Around, where the show is meant to be about a dad, him, with three little horses, the picture, the picture of the family is Bojack is still the main horse. There's There's two horse people, one horse, like one person in a horse costume, which, as you alluded to, is Julia, uh, the actress. And still, in his own show, Bradley (laughs) Hitler-Smith is in a separate picture as Ethan, all grown up. It's absolutely ridiculous. At this point, are we even sure what what BoJack's role? Because, as you mentioned, the horse was killed off in the final season.
2: They never tell us how they're going to write him back. They never tell us.
1: But Ethan's so keen to just put himself at the bottom. I just thought it was magnificent, that. A real sight, insight into his psyche. Uh, we go back to Elefante, though. Remember this? Because it's all changed, Michael, And Elefante, mm. as you alluded to again during your wonderful recap. Uh, the, the owners, it would seem, or the people who are running it, is now the donkey family who were, if you recall, in Season 3, Episode 9, were customers originally. And then uh, the... the <laughs> And then the mother ended up going in to help the waitress and suddenly she is now running the (laughs) restaurant because you see her serving both Diane and Stefani their meals. I should point out their meals, which have become so bad that Stefani gets a tomato and (laughs) Diane gets a nearly empty bag of salad express, (laughs) (laughs) which might be someone's ideal meal, you never know. Um, There's also her donkey son is just floating around in the background later on, but there's lots of background stuff going on here to just let you know how much things have changed. Uh, the clientele usually used to be quite upper market I would say for Elefante Mm. Uh, but then in the background you can see we now have the two dogs you know the two women who are dog friends they've been in almost a bajillion episodes of this show so far they're in there having a meal but even better in the background there's the goat who's having a meal with the man from I believe it's season 2 the guy who had the tractor uh, baseball cap if you remember right he's just popped back in and they've all got these weird little assorted meals that are just like a tin of something. And like it's, it, They're nothing. It's just nothing yeah. meals. Um, and then brilliantly, as you normally see in the background, behind uh, whoever's facing the bar of Elphandier, there's normally something on the TV, but there's nothing on the TV this time. It's just a blank screen. There's a man who's passed out from drinking too much. And there's um, also the, the bartender is now, if you remember, the dog valet from season three, episode nine, who mm-hmm. Princess Carolyn kept throwing the keys away from her. <laughs> And he just, he's now been promoted to bartender, but he's absolutely useless and hasn't got a clue <laughs> what he's doing. He's not a very good bartender at all. And in a similar fashion, if you recall, the chef who ended up becoming, or the waiter, I guess, who ended up becoming the head chef in that mad episode in season nine, episode three, who spent a lot of the episode on fire, pretty much. <laughs> well, they've carried the theme because in this, he basically comes into the shop to save somebody with the meal that's on fire, which then sets him on fire. And he runs away from the shot. It seems like things have not got any better for him.
2: That as well. Like, I didn't see any of that in trying to keep up with Stefani and um, Diane's conversation. That is such a level of detail to just repurpose Elephante in the wake of Bojack sacking the whole team. Like an unreal level of different... I noticed the food. That was the best I was able to catch was the food on the tables. was like, oh, this place has gone to the dogs, like as it were, um, got to the donkeys. But that's <laughs> tremendous. I had no clue so much was going on there.
1: Oh, yes, yeah, so much. It basically does not look like the place you want to go for anything, a meal, a drink, or even a wake. <laughs> we <laughs> then cut back to Todd's brand-new office, and that's just a little brilliant bit here, as they are sort of he's, sell, hes selling it off, and the new buyers are in there. I believe it's Oxnard who looks like he's or someone like that who's working with a guy we've seen before in the purple scarf and the glasses who I'm sure he's like a critic as well. Maybe he's even a Todd's rock opera at some point. I don't know. Um, He's bought the place and he's just, as Todd's talking in his usual fashion, monologuing basically at this point, the guy picks up a mug from a desk, which has Todd's name on it. And as he lifts the mug, it's stuck to the desk with chewing gum for starters, which is this pink, horrible chewing gum. And then, Todd's toothbrush is just sitting in the mug. <laughs> it's just, like, <laughs> just the most the most Todd thing ever, basically. Um, brilliantly, well, as we go back to uh, Bojack now, who's driving his car in this wonderful beginning of this scene. As you mentioned, the song for anybody who wants to look it up is Nina Simone's song, Stars. It's absolutely mm. brilliant. Really give that a listen because the context of the lyrics, if you read them all properly in, in prose format, will definitely give you a nice deep dive into where Bojack is right now. But just a wonderful soundtrack to go with the episode. And I thought it was great, a great bit as Bojack's driving out of California, as you mentioned, the sign says, Now leaving California, America's sideburn. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm not really sure is a compliment or just... Not great, I don't think. Not, it's, it's not fact, the best. It's factually accurate, I guess, isn't it? Factually accurate, I guess. You've got the West and the East Coast, I guess, could yeah, be the let's, let's, let's leave it at that. Factually accurate. <laughs> uh, if you go back to Mr. Butter's house, though, completely different scene altogether. A dog who is like a pup with two tails, having the best time ever. He's got loads of money. He's got a wife who's got a job. And now, Michael, all the boxes that were full of spaghetti strainers are now full of fan mail because he's a hero <laughs> and everybody Good. wants to tell him, thank you, thank you very much. And finally, as we mentioned, in the unknown location, which we can only really refer to as, as I've written in my notes here, horse girl room. <laughs> uh, we are obviously in the sort of, looks like a dorm room almost, or mm. just a young teenager's bedroom. Uh, just a couple of things I noticed here, which might give us some context. Or oh, they might not, might just be here for gags sake. There's a uh, post on the wall for Philly Vogue, Michael. <laughs> Uh, It's like a cover of Vogue magazine, but Philly Vogue, and for anybody who knows what Philly is, Philly is, of course, uh, being a young female horse. So Mm -hmm. for anybody who hadn't clocked that, so it's young female horse Vogue, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which kind of fits the bill quite well yeah. And on top of that, there's also, Michael, a trophy, presumably a soccer trophy, because there's a, a, a rhino person kicking a soccer ball. And it's a trophy. It looks like a bronze, maybe a gold trophy. So, could she be good at football? Could she be, or soccer? I know it's our podcast. She's good at football. That's what we're going to yeah. say. Um, <laughs> who knows? Those are your tidbits that we can find from the room. And indeed, those are all of your little bits from horsing around in this last episode right. of the season. Oh, always feels good when we get to the end of a season. Not because we're happy it's over, but just because we're glad that it's happened, Michael. Yeah. That's pretty much where it is. But, this wouldn't be the last episode of a season unless we had one last thing, and then I swear to God we'll shut up about this podcast forever. Just felt like being a bit dramatic there because it's the and final ever. and ever. So, would you like to go first or second this time round?
2: I'll take first because it's quite a lightweight one, and it's back okay. to our old friend Todd. We're
1: okay, gonna, I like we're going to give Todd.
2: Way. I'm going to give Todd my last moment of the season because it was so small, but it played into the brilliant comedy of that lovely scene in the diner yeah. with Emily. Um, It was in the timing and the pacing and the layout of that whole scene, basically. So as a man who is trying to wrap his head around the fact that he's got $8 million, he says the phrase, I think I'm nothing. And then when the money is gone, he laughs and laughs and laughs and laughs as if to suggest that he can find himself and things are going to be all right. Mm. I love that that remains Todd's modus operandi, that he won't at any point, he won't be defined by material wealth to such an extent that even when he jokes about, how am I going to be defined by this material wealth? (laughs) It is ultimately irrelevant to the bigger picture in his life. And I just thought, I don't believe that was an accident. I believe that was neatly scripted. Uh, I guess I am nothing. I thought it was, uh, obviously it's related to sexuality and him figuring out himself a bit more. But at that very moment, and for just a few seconds more, he was worth eight million dollars to most people that would be a lot more than nothing, but not to talk because that's not how he looks at the world. And I just thought it was nice.
1: The eight million dollar man, and yet obviously the <laughs> last person on earth who would really need that money to be happy by all accounts. Yeah. what's he gonna do? He's bought a sofa now, he's all good. That was before <laughs> that was before he got the eight million as well. So no, I love this. It's a great character moment, and also in case any of us were worried, because obviously the whole thing with Cabra Cadabra kind of morphs out of the original intention into something completely different and if anything kind of dark when it gets to the end of it yes it manages to sort of save the day in the end but that's kind of the end game for it because even after that we wipe our hands of it they both do all three of them do to say the least Mm. Um, but yeah nice to see that somewhere despite the fact that the company might have gone a bit lost its roots. Todd certainly hasn't and he still knows what's important with him. And I felt like it was important that him and Emily were sitting having that conversation. It felt like someone back to his very, very actual roots from back in the day Mm. um, was there to ground him once more. But speaking of tying things back in a lovely fashion, I have got a great one last thing this week. Um, I don't know if it's as good as discovering the rule of three from the last episode of Bojack's Irrational fear of the number three and the things that are threes and being mm-hmm. part of a triangle and pyramids and all that sort of thing. <laughs> um, I should point out as well, shout out to Adam Wilton. I don't, I hope I haven't got your name wrong there, sir. Uh, Adam Wilton did also, just before we came on to record this, sent me a tweet saying, did we notice that the other thing, the rule of three thing to tie in with Bojack, when he went and accidentally bumped into the acapella group before seeing uh, Penny, how many people were in the acapella group, Michael? That was three of them, of course. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> It was, of course, three. Great little tidbit. That. Thank you for your tweet, Adam. And anybody else who's tweeted us, we appreciate everything so far. But for my like, one last thing, uh, what was the final scene? We saw Bojack uh, run. Uh, was watching a bunch of horses run across the desert landscape or the desert mm. grassy landscape uh, in a beautiful scene, absolutely stunning. If only someone had prepared us for this, Michael. If only someone had kind of given us an inkling that this was going to happen. As early as season three, episode one, I should point out, Mm
3: -hmm. maybe
1: somebody did. Because as Bojack, we have to get back in our DeLorean, go all the way back. Bojack is beginning the press tour for uh, his run at the Oscar. That's Mm -hmm. what he's doing. Him and Anna Spanakopita, they go to the hotel. I I think it's the Ritz The Ritz-Carlton, but it's got a twist to it, if I recall correctly. As we go into the hotel room, Bojack drops his bag. Anna says everything. They're on the phone to Princess Carolyn in this mad three-way conversation. But Mm. on the wall, Michael, excellently, excellently portrayed is a painting of three horse men running the desert landscape at the very beginning of the season. And as it happens, we come all the way back to the very beginning. To find, to the very end, should I say, we have the exact same scene plays out, only in real life. Bojack goes from living in a hotel and living in a fantasy world, and all of this stuff is a still image on a wall, to finally trying to go out there and experience something real and breaking the cycle. And he actually goes out and experiences the real life thing of this. Because a picture might speak a thousand words, but I bet seeing that absolutely knocked him for six. So there you spectacular are.
2: Spectacular spot. Great spot.
1: Raphael Bob Waxberg, absolutely. From the very, the, the audacity to show us the finale in the first episode of the season. I bet he got such a kick out of that when nobody got there until the very end. But hey, that's why this show is better than the show that you like. It's
2: much like us mentioning him in the first one and they're not bringing him on to interview him until our and finale. All- can you imagine, say it's eh? kind of the, sort of the same when you think about it I mean he won't like the comparison but we'll have a laugh about that when he no. comes on for
1: the finale no That's it's basically, it's basically the same and I, again I have to say to all our listeners at home I am very excited because when he does eventually not end up coming on the final episode of this show <laughs> Michael Hanfler has assured me he will pretend to be Raphael Bob Waxbig. Oh, so regardless of whether it is him or is Michael Hanfler doing an impression that will be happening for the final ever episode of this show, but right now...
2: I mean, I'll, to be fair, I do a lot of writing for a living and I do a bad impression of RBW most days. So <laughs> it's, I'll, I'll, I'll
1: it's okay. We all do a bad impression of, <laughs> of RBW and this fantastic show. Anyway, that's enough rambling for us about this particular episode. That's the end of this season, but not the end of the podcast because we do, as always, need your support and love your support. So please, if you like this podcast, please do give us a like, a share and a follow on Twitter or Instagram. You can find us at podcast horseman we love talking about this show and we love all the tweets we get all of the posts on instagram all the comments and stuff please do keep them going we started this podcast to grow the community of bojack horseman and of course podcast horseman and we'd like to continue doing that because this show should be talked about in bloody lecture halls they should Mm -hmm. study this as far and wide as they possibly can and everybody should have seen this show basically as you're right as a human being i think (laughs) but if that sounds like Maybe it's too deep of a dive. Maybe you just want to come and yell at one of us about it so you can yell at your current horse who's nattering on Adam Nicholas. You can find me on Twitter at it's Adam Nicholas, or if you'd like to shout some nasty or nice things at Michael Hanflett, you can find him at
2: at Michael Hamflet, You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts where you can also leave us a review. Please make it five stars. Even if you don't think it is a five-star podcast, helps us get up them charts, you know, all about algorithms because every podcast wins about them. Leave us some feedback. Again, nasty or nice, it's fine. Just be kind about the rating. Um, You can follow us on Spotify. You can subscribe on Acast. You can listen on Amazon Music, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. You can find ours. You can catch the podcast uploaded every Friday diligently by our very own Nicholas to the app, Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. That's on an Acast player that you can play through the tweet if that's how you prefer to do it. And every single week, for whoever retweets that podcast link, they will be entered into a random draw and be given a very special season three Hollywood star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. This is our last drum roll for season three, so I shall make it a good one. Putting all the retweeters into our little golden tumbler now. I'm ready on the snare. Drrrr. edward shiraz hands at ed shiraz hands thank you brilliant name i believe you already have a start on the original talk of fame so this is your second very well deserved we appreciate a lot of engagement that we get i know personally you engage with us on the wrestling side of things on what culture as well so also very grateful for that support thank you very much and to edward shiraz hands and everybody else that's got a start of the season and everyone that's ever engaged with this podcast and taught themselves horse about the talking horse as uh, Nicholas referred to earlier on, we will be doing our recap episode next week. We will be firing out a tweet on the Ad Podcast Horseman Twitter feed, asking for your questions or your comments. Um, basically anything you want to mention about season three, we would like to keep it spoiler free if possible. But anything that's gone in this season, uh, stick it in in a reply to that tweet that we'll send out over the next couple of days. And we will get to that in the, in the mentions, in the replies. We'll discuss that as part of our overall deep dive recap season three send off before we move into the scary, choppy political waters of Season 4.
1: Yes, indeed. Just to back that up, actually, just quickly to say, shout out to Edward Chiraz Hans, who was, in fact, the very first in oh, the, lovely. Into the Hollywood Talk of Fame originally. Those can all be found on the at Podcast Horseman Instagram, uh, which... And they do come onto Twitter every now and again, mm. I believe. Just just maybe takes a little bit longer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but yes, we do, obviously, every at the end of every season, we do a full season recap just to kind of go through it all in a bit more of a casual fashion, mm. as we like to do. And um, so, we, basically, we want to just tailor to anybody who likes the show or listen, or listen to this show in different ways. If you like it episode by episode, listen to it episode by episode. If you want just the, the full season recap, just wait until the full season recap. Or... If you just, you know, if you're a good fan, you should probably do both, shouldn't you? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not like we just do this for the fun it's of on. it, hey? Eh? Oh no, oh no, wait, we do, just do this for the fun of it. That's why we do it. Of course we do. Anyway, enough of my yammering. That is pretty much all of it for this week. Apart from Michael, I was going to give you the synopsis for season four, but I guess that may have to wait now until yeah, until we'll next,
2: week. next week. Next week,
3: so yeah,
1: no Netflix synopsis for you. You listener at home, <laughs> but you do get to hear the sounds of our voice as we disappear once again after another successful episode. <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> Devolve into Radiohead uh, songs that's this time plen- around. There's plenty of time. yet. Yeah. there's plenty of no, time. Yeah. As, we, as we both frantically now try to think of one to end this episode on. I'm there not
2: gonna.
1: I'm not gonna fall into your trap. I'm not doing it. Um, but what I will say is, I have been Adam Nicholas.
2: I've been 2 plus 2 equals 5. Hang on, the lads doesn't make sense. I've been Michael Hamflet.
1: God damn it. You just couldn't help yourself, could you? <laughs> you do it to yourself. Anyway, and this has been Podcast Horseman.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50